Welcome back to the OneLink Podcast. I'm James, and we are continuing our series with the founders of OneLink International. So, you know, last time, if you haven't listened to the last two episodes, definitely go back and do that. Last time, we listened to how God used different methods, really, to bring all three gentlemen to a place of the nations are important. You know, with Bob, it started with a book, like, back in 1968, I think he said. Can you imagine? And he begins praying. You know, for Brett, it was some of these early trips. For John, it was kind of the Soviet Union opening up in that that block right time in there where God opens the nations. These guys are, are already a little bit connected, but now we're going to see how God brings one link into existence and how God pulls these three men together and uses them to form an organization that probably this fall will appoint its 5,000th team member. Let's jump into the story with John. There were no options. So in the fall of 92, there were a group of us, Bob Anderson and several others of us that took a trip into Central Asia. We went back to work with the guy that was leading up those festivals and just asking what he thought about campus ministry and reaching students. And I want to preface this a little bit by saying I had just finished leading a group of adults through experiencing God. And so I was pretty anxious to see where where he was at work and what he was doing. So we made that trip, came back. I was excited about what we might be able to do. I was thinking if On my own campus, if I got a phone call or a visit from somebody that would come to me and say, you know, John, I know campus work is really difficult and especially on a commuter campus, but I've got a plan for you that if you'll do this, you'll be successful on your campus. And my thought, the way I responded to that would not be pretty. It would not be a good response. You don't have any idea what I'm doing on my campus, so don't make don't make any suggestions about what you think I ought to be doing. So I couldn't go to uh, I couldn't go to workers other places and say, "Gosh, you're not having great success here. Let me come in and help you with this." <laughs> so, yeah. That was a that was really a key part. So we we visited with the guy that was a worker there that had set that big festival and stuff up. Students were not part of his agenda, but he thought maybe there would be something. So we visited, we actually visited some another city in Kazakhstan, small city. He said, I'd be glad to look at something and and maybe we could do it if you won't stay in the capital city because we've got a lot of people in the capital city and so my heart was that we could take students in first for summer not a week not two weeks but probably six to ten weeks because the expense was getting there it didn't cost us anything to there when we were there and then find a way to either recruit and leave some folks that would stay for two years or if they already had some on the ground that we could support what they were doing. 
And God just did an amazing, amazing thing. We visited a number of campuses. When we got ready to leave, we were traveling around in a van, and the worker stayed back and talked to the president of the university. We were waiting on him in the van, and when he got back to the van, he said, if you want to have some students here this summer, and if you've got some folks that would come and stay a couple of years, this would be a really good place to do it. He said, the um, the president told me that they wanted to do this. It was an engineering school, and they developed irrigation systems. But the president had an idea. They really wanted to start a chicken hatchery. Somebody had given them some land that they could do it. And they had a guy that could run it, but they didn't have any incubators. Worker there, when he was telling us, he was pretty excited. We could tell because his pencil was moving. He was a <laughs> laid back guy, didn't have a lot of, uh, he wasn't this real vivacious, charismatic kind of guy. He was, he was pretty serious minded. And he said, I've got chicken hatcheries in this city. And I haven't known what to do with them. But if you want to send a team this summer and you can find some guys to come and live here for two years to follow up what they're doing, we can get the chicken hatcheries over here. And we're going, where did you get chicken hatcheries? Not the big incubators that that they used. He said, well, the German government, there was a guy in in Switzerland that was buying new incubators. He didn't know what to do with his old ones. He saw a television program on what was happening in Central Asia and decided that he'd send his old used incubators here. And somehow or another, I got connected to him. The German government spent the money to have those things shipped, and they're here. So <laughs> the the end of the rest of that story was we had a team there that summer and for several summers we had a couple of three guys actually that went to that place and worked they needed to occasionally check on the the incubators but there was never an incubator plugged in never a chicken hatched but there was some work and some folks came to know their lives were changed by coming to know the Lord. There was a small group that began there. And a guy, even to this day, a guy that was leading that small group that our journeyman kind of invested in, helped began a, a sim. And there have been a number of other groups that have been started. So that was kind of the beginning. But it wasn't. It wasn't that easy because we got back from that trip. In those days, there was none of what we're doing right now. The only way you could get in touch with this guy that lived there and worked there was via fax machine. He didn't have it in his home. So if he wasn't in the office, he didn't get it. We were there in November, and I just asked if he'd be open to doing this. He said, well, yeah, I I really am but it's got to go through channels. And what that means is you need to talk to the folks 
in RVA and tell them what you want to do. And I'll send a request to my boss in London who will send it on to Richmond. And then you fill that request. I said, great. So I came back, recruited a team, was looking for some folks to stay a couple of years and waiting on a phone call from RVA. Phone call didn't come. It didn't come. It didn't come. And finally, in January, I, I told my wife, I said, honey, if we don't get the call this week, we're this may be something that the father's in, but probably not going to do anything this year. And then I really, James, I, I got pretty angry with God. And honestly, it's the first time that I ever really remember being angry because the events that had transpired about the incubators and everything else that was going on, the team that got selected, I couldn't have done that. And that was that was a time that I began to ask God that he would he would do in and through me those things I couldn't take credit for. The other thing that I asked him was to please give me a give me a promise from his word about what it seemed like he was saying to me. And I'm not thinking an organization I, I, that never crossed my mind. All I'm thinking about is. How do we get people to go this summer? And so I was reading in the book of Numbers, and I, I re actually remember, <laughs> I remember thinking, I didn't write this in my journal, but I do remember thinking, I'm in the book of Numbers. I probably need to get somewhere. I need to read fast because I don't know that God's going to speak to me out of the book of Numbers. So, Numbers 11, 16, and 17. And let me preface this by saying this is out of context, but it wasn't out of context for what God wanted to do. Numbers 11, 16, and 17, the Lord said to Moses, bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand with you there. I'll come down and I will speak with you there and I will take up some of the power of the spirit that's on you and put it on them. They will share the burden of the people with you so you won't do it alone. And I just, God just said to my heart, you need to just tell the story and I'll, I'll take care of giving them a passion and a burden for what needs to be done. And then verse 23, the Lord said to Moses, is the Lord's arm too short? Now you will see whether or not I will do what I said I will do. And so within a couple of days, I got a call from RVA and they said, we have two requests for teams. I'm thinking we, I don't think we can do that. We'd actually on that trip been to Uzbekistan and to Kyrgyzstan and met with folks, long-term folks on the field in Uzbekistan and in Kazakhstan, they both sent requests for teams. And I thought, we can't do that. I, I don't know if we can even get one done. But we ended up with four journeymen going with a team to Uzbekistan and three guys going with a team to Kazakhstan. And 
two of the folks that were in Uzbekistan stayed for, well, they've only been back home maybe eight or 10 years. So they were there a long, long time. And I didn't have a heart for mission. I had a heart to see what God might do and how, um, how we could do that and involve our students here, Wichita and K-State, Nebraska, places like that. Awesome. So you got them sent out. Where does where does one link begin to come in the picture? At which point in at what point in time are you like? I, I I guess I don't I guess I should not continue on at Wichita State like I have been. I need to yeah. Yeah. invest fully. Uh it happened pretty quickly. I had freedom from my uh, supervisor here to work with the overseas projects like through Christmas break, summers, they didn't limit me on that. But we began to get so many requests after that first year. It was pretty successful. And I began to realize this is going to take more time than what I'm what I'm looking at. I initial, initially told Peggy she was working and I was. And initially told her, I'm thinking I may have to quit my job in two years because something's going to I really want to do this longer term. And then I told her a year. And then I told her I'm quitting my job. <laughs> and so she, uh, I, I, we were in an associational meeting. I was employed by our, our association of churches here. Said, I'm going to give my resignation tonight. Do you want to come? She said, no, I don't want to be there. So God just continued to do things. So within a, within that first year, I began to see it was going to take more than than I could do part-time. What kind of step of faith was that for you and for Peggy to leave what I assume was a salaried position? It was. To... Yeah. I'm not sure I fully know how to answer that. I think that the I think that God has given me. One of my spiritual gifts is a gift of faith. And so it, for me, it just seemed like a natural thing to do. And as I thought about the way God had put things together, I didn't have any freedom to ask people for money to raise support for that. But we started getting phone calls. We were just talking about that last night with Bob and Sandy. And we got calls saying, I, I, I want to be a part of that. I, this sounds just like something you do. We had two kids getting ready to go to college, so we were facing that. But I'd never done anything like this before. I've, I've been a starter. I've started things before that we've had real success with, but nothing at this level. And I wasn't looking to start an organization. Uh, I was just trying to help some students in our state get overseas. So began to see, you know, Paul said in Ephesians, he's able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond anything that we ask or think. And I've thought about that a lot. You know, the, the most amazing thing that I can think of, the biggest thing I could ever think that God might could do, that's just a starting point for him because he does exceedingly abundantly more. So I think that's where it was. It, it was hard for Peggy, but she trusted me. 
and has followed me and been a part of, you know, what we've done. I'm a big picture guy. She's a detail person. And so I saw the big picture. She saw how much work it was going to take. So I think just because the way she's wired, it was it was a little more of a challenge for her than it was for me. But she was all in, just bigger bigger stretch for her than it was for me. Was she, I know she's been involved in all kinds of ways. Did she, was she still working at that point in time or did she jump in with you full-time as well? Or how did that? She was still working at that time early on. I don't remember how long we'd been going where she, when she quit, she's, she was managing a, a very large outpatient clinic for psychologists and psychiatrists. So she had about, I don't know, 30, 40 people that were under her leadership to manage uh, these doctors. And then she was managing a law firm, uh, did the did that for a while. But when she quit, we basically went from, she was actually making more money than I was at that time. And then when we quit, I, by the, usually by October, September, October, I wasn't, I was out of salary. We, we had some fees that we charged students and that kind of thing. And my salary was pretty much finished I, the first four or five years. And then when she quit, that cut our salary in half again. But we've we've never gone hungry. We've never needed something that God didn't provide. It's been an amazing journey to see what what God has done. So there you have it. In that small amount of time, God brings John from just thinking about his campus to realizing, like, this is going to need to be bigger. And God began to pull other men in with him, some of the key men, of course, being Bob and Brett. Let's jump back into Bob's story now. You know, Bob has a heart for the nations, but it just seems like God has always had a special heart, given Bob a special heart for China. So now Bob's going to talk about some more of what it was like being in China, some of those early days. We were going into, at the time, somewhat of a risky situation. We, you know, probably our rooms were bugged. The spotlight was really on us. And whether or not that campus and, and the other campuses in the city would allow Westerners come in was really hinged on how we did. So the, the stakes were really high. But I had a great group. Robbie was on that group. Robbie's wife, Gail, you know, they're, they're just an all-star group in so many ways. And the kind of group that I think God purposely wanted together for that first trip. So then is that the first time, like that trip that you took with them, was that the start of sending continuously through one link or is that kind of how it started and how you guys jumped into the scene with us? Well, Certainly China, you know, one link had started about maybe a couple years before there had been a group go to Kazakhstan uh, that were, had a lot of K-Staters in it. And so John was percolating some things and we had had a, a group the year before go to Urimshi, I think, and, you know, some of the 1040 windows. And so we were shaking and moving then. And then, but this was the first trip to China. Let's leave Bob there, and let's jump back into Brett's story. Now, if you'll remember, 
one of the last things we heard from Brett, one, he was talking about paying a high price in tuition. He was learning some stuff, but there was a high price. And he had come to the point where he said, I am never doing this again. Let's see where it goes from there. So in 1990, that was 89, in 1992, we were at a conference in New Mexico, and one of the local directors from Wichita named John Brooks, that summer, he the, the former Soviet Union was kind of cracking apart, and he had been a part of taking a couple of students from WSU to Kazakhstan, I think, Almaty, Kazakhstan, for two weeks. One of the gals who went broke her leg. Okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have met Stacy. He broke her leg on that trip. But John came back and he was just like wide eyed and he's like, guys, guys. And he'd never done anything overseas before. He said, such an opportunity. We've got to mobilize students to go. And, you know, my inner attitude was no, maybe somebody, maybe you'll want to take them, but not me. He had this idea. And and at that time, every campus was developing their own mission project. And every campus director was having to deal with the fundraising. And if there was any training, they did the training and when students came back, they had to deal with the fallout from all of that. And everyone was kind of on their own. And John basically said, what if we kind of combined our efforts? What if instead of K-State doing K-State, Nebraska doing Nebraska, WSU doing WSU, what if we kind of had a central thing? And then maybe we could do some training and that kind of thing also. Well, that sounded better to me than me taking a team to Kazakhstan. But when he said it, he said, I think I want to quit my job at WSU and just do this full time. And I thought, you are having midlife crisis. You do (laughs) not know what's going on. I'm worried about you. Because he was so passionate about it and so couldn't stop thinking about it or talking about it. So the following year, that's exactly what he did. And we began to cut and paste together some teams. And And he had a wonderful way of of meeting. He, he's kind of a an outgoing uh, connector type person. That's sort of his personality M- M.O., and so he would meet people at this country, that country, go to a meeting, meet people, they'd be friends. He'd, what about this? And suddenly we began to have these partnerships. In 1995, fall of 1995, the whole one link thing had already been, had like three classes that it had been through. We were invited to go to to East Asia, and I went with a group of Southern Baptist campus ministry folks to explore that place. And Bob and John went independently, 
to see someone they had a contact with. So they went to numerous places. I went to one place that was near Vietnam. And we went to universities. That's what we did to meet, to just see what the universities were like. As a result of that, we had a team that went to the to the school that I went that I was uh, scouting out, and these are minority schools in the country we were at. There are over fifty minorities. At that time, they were excluded from the main life of the country, and so it was a medical school and a teachers' college in one town, and so we sent a team from here and one student from Colorado to go to that place for a number of weeks. And where Bob went, there were two places that he went that there were local missionaries who were in language school who wanted to have some college students come and help them connect with college students. And those places were like 10, 15 year partnerships until those people involved came back to the States or felt a different assignment. And when they were gone, then there wasn't a lot of opportunity to continue to go to those cities. We had, from our local church, we had three three groups of people who went to one of these cities. My daughter was a journeyman at one of those cities just numerous trips there. And then we had journeymen that went other places in that country, promote the gospel and to serve. So it was just an incredible time of growth. So having been to that country and then we're working on our training, it's kind of like by 1999, I thought, well, maybe I should lead a different team. But let me let me talk a minute about the training. The first couple of years we did training, two or three years, it was information only. You'd have the students in a room, you'd have a speaker who was extremely knowledgeable and accomplished, great experience overseas, who would lecture the students. And this is after finals, and the students <laughs> were crying, but it's like, like they just couldn't stay awake. The inf- There's nothing. The information was wonderful that was being given, but the students just weren't able to receive it. And so I, I remember one one meeting, Max Barnett, who was in Norman at the retreat center, he saw some kids sleeping and he got a broom and he'd see someone sne- sleeping. He'd poke them with the broom, wake them up. <laughs> I, I have that picture in my head that Max was the proctor who kept people awake. We thought, surely there's got to be a different way. Well, by then, we had had enough experience overseas to know that just how you experience life overseas is different from how you experience life here. So somewhere in the brain trust of the small group of men and women, we said, well, what if we tried this? What if we gave them food they weren't used to? What if we didn't give them a schedule when they came and they just had to respond to whatever's going on? And the ones who are 
planning would know. What if we confiscated their watches? And this is for cell phones. What if we confiscated their watches and no one knew what time it was? What if we, you know, so we began to think in terms of not messing with people, but stuff we'd experienced overseas that we thought we could maybe simulate here. And so we started down that road and we made a lot of mistakes. Once we had a person who was like a professional psychologist, counselor come, and they explained to us how harmful some of the things we were doing. And then we had a guy who used to work with the Defense Department, and he was a guy who trained people to be careful in other countries. And, you know, the way we were doing the policing, which we did have some police by then, was totally crazy. And it was so random. You know, people just make up stuff on the spot. There was no planning ahead of time. And you guys know now that's certainly not the case. And so he helped us to adjust the training to where it was was actually helpful to people. And so along those years, we learned so much about how to prepare people. And when we got with other believers from different parts of the United States and met with our partners overseas, it's like nobody's ever, no one's doing this. The only people that were doing anything like this were the Wycliffe translators who had a camp in Florida where they had a boot camp and they had people for a number of weeks and they did this type of stuff. So it's kind of like, wow, you know, how, I mean, why wouldn't somebody do this? Well, it's volunteer expensive. You have to have an incredible number of volunteers in order to pull off a simulation orientation for a week. And because the history of the organization had been so meaningful to people that when we opened the door and said, we are really looking for volunteers for this particular one week. I mean, we had a waiting list because people saw this. I've been overseas. I'm working at the bank or I'm a farmer or whatever. And this is how I can give back. This is how I can be directly involved. What God put on my heart to do when I was a college student. And so part of the one link culture is that it provides a way for people who God's calling to them is not to do the overseas go, but it's to work in a different way. I find it so interesting how our training began and how all of that came about. And, you know, I think sometimes I describe it or the way I have heard it from people, it's almost like shock and awe in the early days. And as Brett said, you know, it wasn't no one was trying to mess with people, but no one, no, remember again, there was, there was no opportunities. No one was sending teams. And so these guys were really starting out at the beginning, like, what can we do? And they started with the classical lecture model. And then they went to like, well, that's not working. And they kept trying these things. And the thing that I find most interesting when I'll talk to somebody who went through in those early days, sometimes I'll be like, 
Like, how was it for you? You know, why, why did this mean a lot? Sometimes I can't even remember all this stuff, but, but they always come away with this. They're like, it was so good. And sometimes it's like, man, I just really needed to be humbled. I needed to be broken. I needed to be, you know, you fill in the blank. And God really worked in those days. And those men took really deliberate steps to improve what they were doing when they realized like, hey, there's something to this simulation-based training. Now, how can we learn more? Uh, You know, they brought in a professional counselor to see about those kind of things. They brought in somebody about security. And so, you know, if you are somebody that went through training in the early 90s or mid-90s and you came back to a week now, there's so much of it you wouldn't even recognize. But what you would recognize is God still working in the lives of students? You know, we are all tools in the hands of a master craftsman. And even when we are a little dinged up, a little bent up, God still uses us in mighty ways if we'll just be willing to be placed in his hand. And on that note, uh, we're going to jump back into Bob's story. Bob's talking a little bit here just about John and about the leadership and some of the things that he brought to the One Link table, speaking of a tool in the master's hand. I was very close friends with John. He was a campus minister, and God began to lay some things on his part about the world because we were really close friends. We just kind of gelled with that opportunity. I was a campus minister here at K-State, and but we we were in trudge all the, the time through that. We prayed. We visionized together. We hung out a lot sometimes on the golf course, but we hung, up, <laughs> hung out a lot. Golf and and God, you know, God kind of crystallized it in, in his life, he and Peggy's life. I was just at the right place at the right time. He drew me along with him as well as Brett. And it, it just began to blossom. As far as the training, we looked at the other preparation things that other groups were doing and just felt it just was so lacking. They would bring people in right before they left and do a few things. Most of it was a lecture type things on cultural sensitivity or whatever. And, you know, needed information, but we we just felt that the students were not getting anywhere near what they needed to go into really tough situations. I remember one time we sent a group into Afghanistan, a few uh women that was the first time the university opened up for women after the long war with Russia. You know, John and I went over to check security just so that we felt that, you know, we would send our daughters here. We had, we had to be really comfortable with the situation because it was, you know, a war zone. And, and some of the things we, we went to really were risky, not all of them. And, you know, we just, I guess we rose to the occasion, kind of like uh, the old phrase, I was made for that. And John was, he was, he was a risk taker, faith venture guy, and that fed into who I was. And being really close friends, that's just how it began to play out. What year did y'all go to Afghanistan? No, oh boy, that would have been after Russia pulled out before 9-11, that would probably, that had probably been in the, I don't know, I don't know when it would actually, 25 years ago, probably somewhere in there. Somewhere in the 90s. Yeah, late 90s. Late 90s, okay. I was trying to get a mental picture for 
what that had been. Tell me, we've talked some about John. What were some of, what do you, when you think about John, what do you think of his like main strengths that he, that he brought to the table to like get one link launched? Well, I think he, he brought a clear vision. I don't think it was wishy-washy or kind of throwing things together. I think he knew what God wanted him to do, to do and that was to raise up laborers, prepare them well, and to send them into situations that had the opportunity to continue that work. So he looked around at the career people in different places. He did his homework. He built relationships. He was really strong on relationships with our people overseas that were there full time. And he was willing to go there personally, examine the, the lay of the land, talk one on one with them, walk the streets with them. So he was very uh, astute in, in, in evaluating spots to go. And that was one of his great strengths, as well as building the relationships that would need to stand the test of time. He didn't want something where you'd go one one year, one summer, and then throw out a, another city and a, a group another place and somewhere else. He wanted the ongoingness, and and that's how we saw the ministry grow. I, I know the place we went in northern China, their churches were started, and we went there, oh, let's see, from 96 to probably 2014 before it kind of, kind of ran its course a little bit with with career people leaving and stuff, but we were there uh, almost 20 years every summer. As I listen to this, I think of one certain one link value, commitment, Bob Anderson, commitment. You can put his picture in the dictionary beside that word. Here's John again, answering a question that really comes down to commitment. How did you know God wanted you to do this? Like what was the I feel like a lot of people we struggle, like, does God want me to do this? Does God want me to do that? I've had a few times where I've known, like, boy, he's told me, but then there's been some others that I'm yeah. weighing it out. How did, how did you know? Were there some times you were like, I may have missed him on this? No, I. there was never a time for me that, uh, that I felt like I'd missed him. I think because of the way God worked with getting us to Kazakhstan, it was clear to me that he was in that. There was one other story that, that happened early on and was going on the same time that we were at in Kazakhstan. I got a phone call. Well, I can't, I'm, not, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to be able to remember the um, exact dates or necessarily the order, but over a period of about three months, at the time, we were taking National Geographic. And in the early days, I didn't always read the articles, but I loved the pictures. We got a National Geographic, and this was, I think, in 93, maybe, or four. And there was an article in it about Albania, and Albania had just kind of opened up. It had been closed off to the world for years and years. And I read the whole article. It was fascinating. The pictures were great. Within a day or so, I got a phone call from Max saying, John, I just, I was just curious. 
you know, Carol Lee, she's, uh, she was actually on staff with Brett at that time. It was her maiden name. And so, I, yeah, I knew who she was. And he said, well, she just got back from Albania. I think you ought to talk to her. I said, okay, I'll give her a call. And then I got a phone call from a guy named David who was helped with the thing we had, were doing in, uh, in Central Asia. Well, I talked to Carol and she was so excited about what we were trying to do. And she said, can we take a, a team of students back there next year, next summer? I said, Carol, no, I, I don't even know if there are any workers there. We want to help support the workers. So probably not, but I'm certainly open to whatever God wants to do. Then I get a call from David Bishop and he says, John, are you open to working any other place besides Central Asia? David was in London. He said, I just got back from the airport. I took a couple to the airport, been working in Albania. And I'm just wondering if you would have any interest or be open to working in Albania. And I said, well, what are they doing there? He says, they're using the Jesus film and they're taking the Jesus film to all of the villages and towns in Albania. They've got a 10-year program to do that. And I said, well, David, no, not really. We don't do village work. We're really wanting to do student to student. And he said, well, would you at least be open to talking to them or visiting with them? Well, I was, <laughs> I was in the process of taking a trip to Ukraine. I'd been working and talking with Henry Blackaby. He, these things, it's just so amazing the way God's hand was in it. But I'd, I'd led this group through experiencing God, had had an opportunity to talk to Henry Blackaby. And he said, you know, one thing that God's done, he was talking about what God had done in Lugansk in Ukraine, how he had started some work there. I said, I'm just getting ready, told David, I'm getting ready to go visit, visit a journeyman that we've helped get to uh, Ukraine. Maybe I could just go from the Ukraine to Albania and then come home. I had no idea in those days. And it was when airfare was probably in terms of the money I was earning, it was probably just as expensive. But I thought, well, maybe I can just swing through Albania. Well, no, you can't just swing through Albania. Those, <laughs> that just doesn't happen. So I called a travel agent. I had I had about, seems like I had about $500 in hand. I needed to raise another, about 1000 for the trip to Ukraine. And called the travel agent and I said, I'd like to route this trip through uh, Albania, if you can pull that off. She called me back in a day or two and she said, John, it'll, it'll be an extra two or $3,000 just to add that leg. And I said, well, that's probably not going to work then. Then she interrupted me and she said, however, if you'll buy an around the world ticket, you can go to Ukraine and then go to uh, Switzerland and Austria and Albania and then come home. And it'll only cost you, for those extra two legs, it'll only be an extra $500. I said, great. Make a connecting flight in Switzerland and, and in Austria. 
and then get me to Albania. She said, no, you have to spend it. You have to leave the airport. You've got to spend at least one night while you're there. So it really ended up being about eight, seven to $800 probably extra. And then God did some miraculous things to bring that money in. People that had heard me going about going to Ukraine, but not Albania. We scheduled it, planned it, got to Albania, met. It's a, an amazing country, but it had been shut off from the world. Population, I think, was about a million and a half. And they were working with a crew to uh, take the Jesus film to Albania and had a plan. But they needed some students who would do that. And I said, well, Mary, we don't do village work. And she said, well, there's going to be an Albanian student, university student with every team. And we need we need 60 people to go. Uh, and I thought, there's no way I can come up with 60 people. It just won't happen. I said, I think I can probably recruit 10 or 15 people. She said, well, would you just pray about it? And now I'm thinking, all right, Max called me. I talked to Carol. I read about this in National Geographic. The money came in in a way I couldn't have planned. So God's in this thing. I said, I'll pray. And when I got back home, a gal that was in our church said, I heard you just went to Albania. Man, I'd, I'd love to go to Albania. She, I think she had been already been a journeyman there. And um, I had spoken at a, a student leaders, a director's conference in Oklahoma, and it shared just a vision for what we could do in Central Asia. And I got a call from a guy named Troy Nesbitt, who's out of a large campus ministry in, in Iowa. He said, John, I, I'm really challenged by what you shared at the conference. What do you need what, in terms of students? What, what would work? I said, well, let me give you some options. He said, I don't want options. I want you to tell me what you need. I said, we need 45 students more to go to Albania. And here's the project. He called me a week later. They had 45 students enlisted and, and the project made. So that are the things, th those two things were just a couple of things that were happening in those early days when I began to see that this is something I had not planned nor had I expected, but God had very clear plans for what should take place. It's amazing when we get to see the hand of God at work. I think one of the great things, one of the great benefits One Link has to students is this for many of them is really one of the first times in their life where they begin to see God provide in ways. The first time they ever raise $5,000 to go on a trip and the way they see God provide helps affirm that call and helps them get to know them. And as John got to see God working in this, it helped him know that he was on the right path. Well, that's where we're going to wrap up this episode today. I hope you guys are enjoying it so far. I know I am. Next time, we are going to get into more of the forming of One Link, how some things were decided about how we do how we do our work. Uh, you'll hear some other great stories, and we'll see if we can wrap it up in one more episode, but it may take two. We'll see. Until next time, appreciate you guys. Mm -hmm.